And we're live. Hello and welcome to another episode of Kinetic Coffee. This is episode 11. Today we have Coach Cat. Hey, everybody. And I'm going to lead off with uh, one of the usual run-of-the-mill dad jokes. I'm pretty sure I've told this one before, but I didn't have any like other appropriate ones. So what do you call a cow jumping over a barbed wire fence? I don't know. What do you call it? Utter destruction. Oh. And that's actually Katie's. So thanks to my lovely wife, Katie, for that one. Um, before we dive in, guys, uh, Kat has not been on our podcast before. This is our weekly segment, Kinetic Coffee. Um, so I want to formally introduce Coach Kat. You guys that are in the gym know her very, very well. Um, but Kat, if you don't mind, we'd love to hear a little bit of background on you athletically and why you decided to become a coach. So a little background on my athletics. So I've been an athlete probably since I was about two years old, which is when my mom enrolled me in gymnastics. And then it was pretty much every sport you can imagine growing up, like a little bit of soccer, a little bit of karate, a little bit of dance. Um, and then right around high school, uh, eighth grade, I started to do track where I did uh, some of the jumps, like triple jump, long jump, high jump. I was a sprinter and did that all the way through college. Post-college needed something to kind of keep me active. So I kind of tried the running thing like a lot of people do. Ran a marathon, haven't run more than about two miles ever since then. Um, I then had a small stint as a circus acrobat, kind of trying to find my way in the athletic world. Like, what do you do as a grown up for athletics? And then I found CrossFit in 2012, 13, somewhere around then. Um, and when I first started CrossFit, it was kind of like, I'm not going to drink the Kool-Aid. I'm not going to do this paleo thing. I'm not going to train five days a week. You know, I kind of went like twice a week. And then probably within the next couple of years, I was um, certified L1 coach. I was doing paleo, experimenting with macros, training probably seven days a week, doing two a days, doing strength cycles. And, you know, I, I originally got my L1 more for myself, you know, to kind of improve my own, you know, physical dynamics with CrossFit to become a better CrossFitter. But really quickly after getting it, I started to kind of want to get into coaching CrossFit athletes because of my experience coaching in the past with, you know, runners, coaching in the circus, things like that. It's so, awesome. Yeah. I want to dig into the circus stuff a little bit more, but I want to, I want to give all the announcements that everybody wants to hear and then we'll circle back if that's okay. Yep. Okay. So guys, just so you know, the ones that of you that ordered supplements, they're in already. It was like two days later, which is awesome. So you can find them out on the front table with your name on them. Um, and about the front table, the, in the next week, week and a half, you guys are going to see more upgrades in that room. The, the cubbies are going to move to where my, my old office used to be. That's the new changing room. And you'll see a nice real front desk reception area. Check-ins are going to be a lot easier and smoother. So that's going to be awesome. Um, okay. Quick shout outs. Uh, really just um, tons of people getting deadlift PRs and the five RMs, but really that's just the beginning of this awesome strength cycle that everybody needs really, really bad. Um, so actually, while we're on that, let's talk about the group training considerations for next week. This week, we started into the program with 10s in the squat, the bench, the press, and the deadlift, and we're doing some percentage work with the power clean. We're training. Some, some people 
had to retest uh, some of the gymnastics stuff that we're doing, but we are into training that full-fledged. Next week, uh, the volume reduces significantly. Uh, this week, we had four sets of 10 and then a plus set, fifth set. Next week, the percentage goes up uh, to 67.5%. It's only two sets of 10 and then a plus set. So it's going to be a little bit harder. A lot of you guys that you know are breaking out 35, 40 reps, uh, you're going to be getting an email from me and adjusting your training maxes because it's a little bit high for this program. So um, either, hey, we missed the 5RM test and we used something that was a little bit too light or eh, maybe we didn't uh, go hard enough during the 5RM test and now the numbers are reflective of that. Some of you guys on the flip side who didn't get enough reps, um, we're going to go the other way. So really quick, Kat and I, I wish I was recording the discussion for part of it. Uh, before the podcast started, we were talking about why uh, it's good during certain times of the year to actually focus on strength and back up off the, um, let's say, lactic tolerance intensity. And Kat has some personal experience with this. Would you like to share what that is? Yeah. So if you kind of go back to when I was like at my peak with CrossFit, which was just probably two years ago or so, um, I was you know training daily with at least, you know, like doing hard hit workouts and, you know, like the CrossFit stuff, like the Fran, the, uh, we did DT weekly and, you know, still training in the gym. I was doing a lot of two days. So I would go in the gym in the morning and then I would do maybe strength in the afternoon or like have another hit workout. And I don't think I took a day off for like months and months and months. And, you know, I think that becomes like an acceptable method of training in CrossFit. Like, I feel like there's this concept of if you don't train hard and you don't sweat hard every day, if you're not getting your heart rate up to like 200 every day, like you're not getting a workout, you're not burning fat. Um, and it turns out, you know, most of you guys know my health journey over the last at least six months has been, you know, on AIP trying to figure out why my body is kind of attacking itself. And part of that actually stems back to what's called adrenal fatigue. And I now have a nutrition coach and a physician that are both kind of on board with this thought that uh, some of my overtraining, you know, just hitting those hit workouts too hard, too long, too, without enough rest was just um, kind of wreaking havoc on my body. Too many stressors, you kind of burn out, you burn your adrenals out. And then that can actually lead to antibodies, things like that against your thyroid. So I'm in the process of dialing it back. A lot of you guys know, like I'm not allowed to get my heart rate up super high. Um, so it's, you know, dialing it back from that, that trend of kind of overtraining. And I think a lot of CrossFit athletes experience that. Like, yeah. I'm not going to the games. Like, why was I training twice a day? Just yep. kind of that addictive nature. Yeah. And uh, there's a big difference between overreaching and overtraining. Once we get into overtraining, that's a real diagnosable syndrome. And it sounds like Kat had it. Uh, overreaching is like, oh, you might see a little bit of performance decline. You might uh, not really have the energy to train. But if you take a, a little bit of time off, then your energy is back and your performance regains again. There are extreme cases of overtraining where it takes eight years plus to actually fully recover. Um, one of them I was just listening to was a case uh, from uh, actually a, new, a nutrition coach who was talking about an athlete that he worked with that was an Olympic athlete who had overtraining syndrome. And eight years later, she was only then getting back to her previous uh, performance um, capabilities. So pretty crazy. Now, for most of us in CrossFit, we're doing four, four or five sessions a week. We're probably not getting into overtraining syndrome. However, if we only train that one energy system, that super intense energy system all the time, we can still kind of burn out. So it's important to kind of 
change the phases with the seasons. Um, and doing a strength cycle once a year is, is a good idea. Um, even if it's only three or four months long, it's going to give you lasting benefits. And it is intense if you let it be. So um, if it's heavy and you're getting the right effect, you're going to need to rest for long periods of time. And you're actually going to get better at a lot of other things uh, without you knowing it just by training strength. And I'm not just talking about the barbell lifts. A lot of the gymnastics stuff we're doing is going to have a massive, massive benefit um, when we, when we kind of go back to some of the more classic intense workouts. So, um, yes, for those of you guys that embrace the suck all the time, those, those workouts are still laden within. And those of you guys that were in on Monday, it's just a different kind of difficult when you're trying to focus on gymnastics positions, stuff like that. If you came yesterday, oh my God, that was like one of the worst. Actually, that was an old, uh, crossfit.com workout adaptation from 2001. So you can't get more classic CrossFit than that. And it's one of my favorites. So, um, all right. Anyway, so guys eat a lot and enjoy the strength cycle because you're going to just get more and more benefits from doing it. Um, both from, from, you know, recovery standpoint physiologically, but all the, the benefits that you're getting are going to last, um, for the months to come. So, all right. Now what I'd like to do if we could is back up to when you were talking about, um, circus mm -hmm. and could you tell us uh, more about that and what you did exactly in the circus and how do you even get into that like all that kind of all that kind of stuff yeah so i probably would have to start at the beginning because the way i got into circus was because of gymnastics so i started doing gymnastics when i was about two um and i actually was pretty competitive in gymnastics um through my growth spurt um i started growing right around the time that i started track so when i started high school it was like under five feet tall if you can imagine. And by the time I graduated, I was five, six. So somewhere in there, Crazy. and then I continued to grow in college. So somewhere in there, like things just kind of started to fall apart. And I thought I would never really be able to do gymnastics again. I'd hope to do it in college, like in a club sport. But when you um, are D1 track, they don't really let you do any other sports. So what actually happened was because of that gymnastics background, I had moved to San Diego. I didn't know anybody there. Hadn't met any friends yet. And I joined this website called The Meetup. And um, it was like, you know, running groups and puppy groups and art groups and wine groups. And I had put in my interest and I had checked off gymnastics. And so I got hit with this like invite from somebody that says like, hey, come check out like San Diego. Um, there's like a circus studio up here in like Miramar. And I was like, well, I'm never going to meet anybody there. But like, I'll go check it out. That sounds like a lot of fun. And it was the most humbling hour ever. Um, we did fabric. It was like it cuts off the circulation in your foot. Anyways, it was brutal, but I loved it because it really did draw on my gymnastics background and it wasn't so intense like the marathon running. And um, within, I think, a couple months there, I did my first show in San Diego and it was like a fundraiser show. And then it was pretty much there on out. I was doing it. Met all, like, all my good friends. My best friend actually was my circus performing partner <laughs> out there. Um, and I wound up graduating um, up to the Cerso, which is a big hoop that hangs from the ceiling and spins really, really, really fast. And so that kind of wound up being my area of specialty. Uh, so I continued to perform from like 2008 to about 2013 out in LA, San Diego and everywhere in between. A lot of clubs, a lot of um, fundraisers, stuff in the park, things like that. And a lot of the people that I used to train with are now like in some of the big shows for Cirque du Soleil. That's awesome. So they get to teach me. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. See, when you originally told me about circus, I didn't know that you were like part of sort of a traveling 
act. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. And if you guys have ever seen Cirque du Soleil, it's like the hardest thing ever. Yeah, to... that's like the Olympics of circus. Yeah, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Okay, so uh, bring it back to the to the real folks here that just want to work out a little bit. Mm -hmm. What um, in gymnastics with your background and everything? What do you think are some of the the most foundational things to learn uh, before we get crazy and do the things that you were doing with the big hoop. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously you guys all know I'm kind of a handstand freak. I feel like handstands are kind of the most foundational skill that you can have, yeah. but leading up to a handstand, it's going to be hollow holds and supermans. I feel like those are just, those are core movements that you have to have that translate to so many other different gymnastics type movements. Um, upper body pull strength is huge. Um, if you see like actual gymnasts when they do the uneven bars, uh, a lot of that is just, it's key to be able to pull your body up. Um, that obviously translates to CrossFit because the pull up enables you to do so many different things. And then, um, just overall like balance, balance and stability, you know, a lot of the warm ups that you do with the kettlebell with like one foot, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of those skills are really good if you're trying to get like a solid gymnastics foundation. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Those are kind of my, probably my big ones. Can we pick each apart just a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's start with Superman. So for those of you that don't know what you're talking about, what is the Superman? So the Superman is you lie down on the floor face down and, you know, with your core still engaged, you kind of arch up. So you lift your shoulders, your, hopefully your knees and your feet and your hands above the ground. And as you get more accelerated with this, you keep your arms and your feet together and you hold that, that position for any given amount of time. So it's pretty much your back, your butt, everything behind you. And yeah. And for a lot of people, their shoulders, especially yeah. if you don't have a lot of mobility there. Okay. Yeah. And then the other one you said was the hollow body position. Mm -hmm. What is that? So hollow body position is the same as that, but reverse. So you have your butt on the ground and your lower back touching, but you have your shoulder blades and your legs elevated and hopefully in a nice straight scoop kind of banana type shape. Um, and as you get better, you know, your feet are together, your arms are together and you hold that for any given amount of time. You can also do that hanging from a bar, same position with the Superman and the hollow body hold. So everybody knows that I'm leading the witness, but, uh, what, what she said there is exactly what I was hoping that she would say, because a lot of beginners, even people that have just been doing CrossFit for a few years, they think that the hollow body position is just lifting up their legs. And they, they struggle to understand the what you said about pushing your lower back into the floor. And the last piece when people get tired is the shoulders. Mm -hmm. And they like to leave them on the ground. Mm -hmm. So if you're training hollow body position, which would you say is more important? Arms behind you or shoulders off the ground? Shoulders off the ground. Okay. You guys heard it from the gymnastics coach herself, the circus performer. She knows. Okay. Um, all right. Let's keep going with the other movements. Um, actually, before we move away from that, uh, how would you suggest getting better at hollow body position? Like if you wanted to practice it outside of class, how often could you do it? And for what amount of time and what would you recommend doing? Yeah. I mean, if, if you can't even hold like a hollow position with your legs straight and your arms straight, like the first step is obviously just holding, um, I think it could be called like a boat position with your knees bent. As long as your lower back is on the ground and you kind of slowly inch your knees out kind of closer to that hollow position. And I mean, I, I really like Tabatas with those. So even just doing um, like an eight, like eight rounds. So it's four minutes of work. Just doing a Tabata in the morning every day would make you that much better. But even just doing it three times a week would really help. 
it's okay. surprising how much a Tabata of hollow holds will burn you out. It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, even, even alternating Superman hollow Tabatas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then as you're getting into that hollow position, like one of my favorite tricks, because I have really long legs and a really short torso. So hollow position for me is not the easiest. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're holding it for a really long time and you start to get fatigued, I like to do like one knee up with one leg out and then kind of switch. And that still helps train those those core muscles without burning them out to the point where your back kind of comes off the ground and arches. Awesome. Okay. So I know I'm jumping around here to the different movements, but the, the next one that I wanted you to elaborate on is the balance. On, on Monday, we did the gymnastic scales, mm -hmm. both front scales and back scales on one leg. Is that sort of what you're talking about or yeah. were you only talking about like weighted movements? Not with weighted at all. I mean, just in general, any kind of balance skill. I mean, you guys have seen the gymnasts, you know, on the balance beam, they do the a different version of the scale where their legs all the way up in the air and they're like doing a split basically sideways. Um, so yeah, just that in general, that balance, it translates so well to everything we do in life. Although you'd probably never know it because I walk into things at home all the time and constantly <laughs> lose my balance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the balance itself, it translates to better movements in CrossFit, um, just overall better stability muscles in your body. So that hopefully as you get older, like those little, little tendons and ligaments are still holding everything together in your joints. Yeah, so actually, um, CrossFit HQ has been doing a lot of slips lately, just practice slips for 10 to 20 minutes. And what that means is scales, L-sits, inversions, um, plank, really a, a planche, and then stretching. And what they're showing in their media is people that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s in that really goofy uh, married with children set, and they're doing basic versions of these things and what it's communicating is that anybody can do this. Anybody can train it. No matter how old you are, there's always a variation that you can do, even mm -hmm. with the inversion. Do you agree with that, with, with what CrossFit has been putting out? I personally have loved it. Do you like it? Yeah, I love it. I mean, uh, we're constantly helping, you know, Adam's yeah. parents uh, with some of the things that they can do in their house. And we talk about how important the flexibility, the balance, like all that stabilizing is. It isn't just about like lifting heavy weights. Sometimes it's about like the finer movements. And those are some of the things that can help keep you out in a nursing home when you're older. All right. So you said handstands were foundational. So yes. what would you recommend for the people that they're afraid? They, 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 uh, you know, the other day we were doing a frog stand and different headstand variations and they were pumped that they just got upside down a little bit. I so heard about that. how, <laughs> how would you take those people and get them to, to maybe spend a little bit more time upside down or maybe progress them someday into a handstand. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of drills that you can do, like starting off with working with headstands is a really great way to get people just upside down where they're on a safe surface and nowhere to really crash. And then you kind of start building that up, you know, getting on a box and working on a pike, you know, a true pike, not where they're yeah. kind of, you know, out in a V, but where their butts completely up to the sky and they're completely upside down with their head the ground but their feet are still being helped on a box what she's saying is uh when your head is down your hands are on the floor your elbow is immediately above the wrist your shoulder is immediately above that and then with pike your hips are actually above that so you're you're at a perfect l you're not uh you know some like slanted version you're completely stacked correct yep okay yeah so working with that and you know that at first like people when they don't understand what that feels like so you kind of got to work into it. And then once people get confident with that, like you start working up the wall. And I think for people who aren't comfortable getting inverted initially, the easiest way to do that is through a wall walk because you're facing the wall. It's a little less scary because you can only go maybe halfway up the wall and you kind of just continue to work 
work your way up the wall until you're completely inverted, but you're still completely supported with a wall and you have a mat underneath you. And just that feeling of being inverted can initially be really distorting for some people, but that will help them get more and more comfortable. Yeah. And then you can work on kicking up to the wall with your back facing the wall once you're really confident facing the wall. What a lot of people don't realize is there's great research now on training the vestibular system, um, specifically with kids. Actually turning them upside down makes learning better and they're, they're able to access their creativity better. But now they're using it the studies with adults and it's beneficial in different ways kind of um again on the creativity but alzheimer's and just keeping keeping um older adults uh more active with their brains so it's pretty cool even no matter what variation you choose to be upside down it actually is beneficial to you so okay now that's if somebody's not comfortable getting into the inversion what if we have our sort of typical CrossFitter? Maybe they've been, they were active, they were athletic before they started CrossFit. They're in it maybe three or four years. They can they can do some handstands. Maybe they got a set of handstand push-ups. They can walk a little bit, but they can't pirouette. It's not like that refined. What would you recommend for those people to to get better? I mean, obviously, see me. <laughs> um, talk to coach cat <laughs> um yeah i mean there's so many different drills and things like that that you can do on your own um you know as far as pirouetting there's a lot of things that you can do actually right up against the wall the pirouette guys is if you were to handstand walk and do an about face while still on your hands yep. in, in case you didn't know what that was yeah, you can do a full circle with your hands um, you know, for somebody to pirouette, you know, really helps for them to already have a pretty good solid foundation of handstand walking, but it's not unheard of for somebody to be able to pirouette and not really be able to get that forward momentum for the handstand walk. Um, but one of the, my favorite drills for either handstand walking or pirouetting is the handstand march, which is just where you're upside down in a handstand and you're just, you're just marching, whether you go forward sideways or backwards, you kind of just let your body determine which way you're going, but it starts to get you that kind of more like overall awareness of where your body is where your hands are, even though it's not necessarily going in a straight line. And the more you start to do that, the more you'll start to kind of feel that turn. And you just start out slow. You know, you start out like, oh, I'm just going to do like a quarter turn or a half turn. And the worst that happens is you kind of cartwheel down out of it. So as long as you have a cartwheel and a hand standing against the wall, like you're in good hands. And, and no pun intended, right? <laughs> uh, if you fall out of a handstand, your head is pretty close to the ground. Like it's really not catastrophic. And if you're pretty athletic, like if you're trying, if you're working on pirouettes, you're probably going to fall fairly gracefully. It's, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Um, let's, let's go back because pirouettes is a little bit more advanced. Let's go back a little bit and people who are like getting handstands, but they can't hold it for maybe a long period of time, freestanding away from the wall. Can you describe, this is something that I try to explain to people. I think it'd be better coming from you. A lot of times the best gymnasts look like they're completely stoic and they're not moving, but there is a little bit of back and forth play during that handstand. Can you describe that process? Yeah. So for somebody like me, I've been walking on my hands since I was about two years old. So as I got into like helping others with this, I had to actually think about what I was doing and there's a little bit of science behind it. So as you're in a handstand, you know, there's a very specific process that happens if you're falling forward. So if you're falling like over yourself, like you're going to go into a forward roll, um, you know, there's a lot of pushing back. So you're actually using your hands and your shoulders and you're actually pushing the floor backwards. But then if it goes too far that way, there's a little bit of a bend in your arms and a little bit of a shift to get your body back kind of going the other direction. So what you're seeing with those hand balancers and you should see the circus people, those hand balancers are insane. You know, they're on one hand and they're 
spinning around, but you look at really closely at their hand and it's doing moving constantly a lot of this and you see all these muscles correcting all the time constantly constantly moving but it's for them it's all up in here for a cross sitter we can cheat because nobody's paying like tons of money to see us perform on stage Mm -hmm. so we can use our body too like you can really use your center of gravity you can use your legs and your feet to kind of help with that adjustment as well awesome yeah a lot of people think of it as like this just still thing and i and i try to describe it to them and I think that was a better description than what I usually give. So that was awesome. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, upper body pull. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So why is that so important? And then well, I'll let you talk about it okay. and I'll, I'll dig in in a little bit. As a female, I think it's just super important to have upper body pull. I think it's important for men too. But years ago, I actually read an article it was in the New York Times and it actually said, like, I think the headline was why women can't do pull-ups. And it was like, excuse me, women can do pull-ups. But it went through all the science of why it's harder. But what it comes down to is just like where our center of gravity is. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. Obviously, we know in CrossFit, women can do pull-ups. There's totally. women that can do a lot more pull-ups than some men. Um, but I just think it's such a foundational um, movement because it brings so much strength to the upper body. I feel like the handstand and the upper body pull both kind of complement each other. One's kind of a little more pushing one's a little bit more pulling. Uh, for me, upper body pull has translated into being able to probably have a stronger clean, being able to pull myself up onto things. I mean, just in general, like in life, being stronger in the upper body and then in CrossFit, being able to do things like muscle ups, et cetera. Um, I'm lucky. I mean, I came into CrossFit being able to do, I think my test out was like seven pull-ups when I started CrossFit, uh, which I guess most women when they start CrossFit don't have a pull-up. But remember I was doing circus and in the circus, the hoop's spinning, I'm hanging and I have to pull myself up inside of the hoop. So it's actually one of the reasons I started CrossFit was to keep my strength up for the circus by doing that pulling. Um, So I do think it translates into a lot of different things. What would you recommend for people that we get kind of, we get the spectrum of people that start, but women always want to get the pull-up. Yeah. So where would you tell somebody who, who's not their, their main goal is not weight loss. They're, they're generally pretty healthy. They are just looking to progress their fitness in some way. They've never done CrossFit before, but they don't have a pull-up. What would you recommend for that person? Well, I'm a huge fan of starting off with like the ring rows, but then I'm also a huge fan of actually, cause the one, the one downside with the ring row is, is you're pulling yep. like this and you're, you're not quite simulating the exact same muscles. Cause for a lot of us, like it's, it's that, that back strength mm-hmm. and that back pull and the ring row kind of, it's a little more on like the biceps and mm-hmm. things like that. So I'm a huge fan of bands. Um, cool. and I know not everybody uses bands. Not everybody believes in them. They're scary when they snap and hit you. Trust me, it's happened. Um, but I'm a huge a fan worse for the guys, right? <laughs> Gosh, huge fan of using bands because it at least gets you in that, you know, simulation of that mm-hmm. movement. And it's, I think more effective than a spotter. Because, you know, spotting a pull-up is very difficult. Ergonomically, it's not always the best when you have your feet behind you and you're arching your back Mm -hmm. to get up there. Um, And then also doing negatives. You know, once you have some pull strength, doing those negatives, I think, is huge for being able to get the actual pull-up. Cool. Um, One I've been using with some of my one-on-one clients lately, we'll see if you like this one, is the the toe Mm pull-up. So you put a box um, underneath the pull-up bar and you're starting on your toes and you're trying to use as little uh, of your own push from the toes as possible. And eventually you can progress it to one foot. Um, but we can do a lot of those uh, in within the week. So that's why I like them, just because it does simulate the vertical pull, like you're saying. Yep. But it gives it the athlete an opportunity to 
mess with their own body without the band. Do you like that exercise? I do like that exercise as long as it works for the athlete and they actually can get the weight totally. off their toes. Totally, totally. Because I know some of us, you know, it's like, oh, well, I have my feet here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I like bit. just yeah. getting in the actual position mm -hmm. and it's any way you can take some of the weight off yeah. and still simulate the pull-up. Awesome. Okay. How many, or maybe, maybe I'll phrase this differently. At what point would you teach somebody a kipping pull-up? Well, they'd have to have a pretty substantial amount of strict pull-ups. I mean, at least one, but even having one, you'd want to make sure that they have yeah. the shoulder girdle stability to be able to do, do you think it's different swings. male to female? Like, for example, if a male could do maybe three to five, but a female would only do one, do you think it's different because of the New York Times article and there are biological differences? I think there are. And I think also women are tend to be more flexible. Yeah. Uh, especially in the shoulder. So I'd almost be more hesitant with the men, mm -hmm. if, even if they could do a bunch of strict, yep. to make sure that they have the flexibility to kip through. I'm thinking of one person in particular who still only <laughs> does strict, right? Because he doesn't have the shoulder mobility to really kip. Under the bus. Um, <laughs> luckily, he doesn't have um, any social media stuff, really, to, to get this. You'll have to figure so. out how to get the podcast. <laughs> Um, That's her husband. Yeah, we might have Instagram. So I think, you know, for women, I would say probably three to five pull-ups and not okay. just like the, oh, I just a really good day. Um, you know, three to five. I think about myself, like I came in being able to do strict and do, I think I did seven strict. I was able to do kipping. Um, but for me, like butterfly was a, I never thought I'd be able to do butterfly just because of the shoulder girdle because mm -hmm. my shoulder used to come out of the socket. And yeah. I think about that with the hazards of kipping and butterfly and there's no shame and continuing to do strict until totally. you got that strength. So three to five probably for, okay. for women. And I would say for guys that come down more to flexibility, flexibility. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, what movements did I miss? We got the upper body pull. We got all the other foundational balance, stuff. We got the balance. Stands. What did I miss that you said was like most important foundationally? Do we Those get them all? Handstands. Yeah. Handstands. Handstands, right. balance. Yeah. We got them all. Upper body pull. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, is the L sit just as beneficial as hollow body or why are they different and why should you train them differently? So I think they're totally different. Um, if you're doing the hollow hold correctly, it's, you're engaging kind of more abdominals. Yeah. You're getting some hip flexor action in there, but it's a lot of kind of like rotational core mm -hmm. as well as like, you know, the butt, just the whole body. Um, not that L-sits don't engage the whole body. I just know I could hold a hollow hold for just as long as an L-sit and I'm going to be sore in different places. hundred percent. So with the L-sit, um, yeah, I couldn't even like stand up straight after, yeah. I think we did two days in a row of, um, some yep. L stuff. So yeah, those are pretty foundational, um, but also really, really, really hard. And I don't think it's stuff that we train typically. Yeah. Um, that's so much more hip flexor mm -hmm. and quad. Yes. Hip flexor and quad driven, um, and a little bit of mental. A lot of bit of mental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's actually huge in gymnastics. Yeah. Um, and we didn't call them L sits. We used to just have to do um, like leg raises. Yep. And we had to do them. Oh, I mean, I just remember a million times. There'd be like four of us on a bar. Yeah. All doing them. And, you know, you had to do them strict and it was all the way up to the bar. Of course. You have to hold and then back down. And oh, then that's amazing. I think that might come into the programming. But we only weighed like 80 pounds. Oh, so. okay. Never mind. <laughs> it's a different story. <laughs> okay. I guess, yeah, before before we move on then, I think your perspective will be awesome on this. The sit-up versus the hanging leg raise or toe-to-bar. 
benefits of one or the other, or is one like way better than the other for certain reasons? So the sit-up is so much more for me, like upper abdominals. And I mean, I don't know if that varies for different people based yeah. on their anatomy. Um, so that's one of the best ways for me to really isolate my upper abdominals. Because yeah. anything involving legs for me, my legs are so much heavier and longer than yeah. my torso that it's all hip flexor driven because, you know, different muscles tend to, yeah. to, to kind of jump in at different times. Um, so I feel like abs are more, you know, ab mat setups are more beneficial for like speed. And if you're like in a hit workout uh, as opposed to like the really – or stabilizing training like a L hang or the hollow hold. Cool. All right. Awesome. I just wanted to put you on the spot for that one. Um, yeah. The, the reason we see so many more toes, the bar and hanging leg raises, at least in our gym and our programming is um, if you analyze the amount of musculature used in the hanging leg raise or the L sit versus the sit up, it's going to beat it like hands down, but you're right when we have to do something fast, the sit-up is a little bit better because most people can't cycle through enough toes to bar that quickly. The other thing to consider from a guy like me is, you know, you guys, everybody knows my background with my shattered spine. Um, the more flexion of the spine for, for core work, it, if I do that every single day, it actually causes pain rather than helps it. So um, a hanging leg raise or a toe to bar for somebody like me is a little bit more beneficial, but both, are not wrong and both are not right. It's just a blend. So I, I always like to hear um, the different opinions. So, okay. Um, ooh, we went long. All right. Uh, <laughs> Coach Cat, what are you going to be doing in January? Besides traveling all over the place, I'm going to be running a handstand clinic. Yeah. All right. What is the date of the clinic? The 12th. Now, is it for people who don't have a handstand yet? Both. Okay, so we have a clinic in the earlier morning for people who are not that comfortable getting upside down, and you're going to show them all the things you were talking about and more. Mm -hmm. And then later on that day, you have a clinic for a little bit more advanced. Yep. Can you talk about that one a little bit? Who are you looking for? Yeah, so the more advanced clinic is going to be for people who are looking to get better at their handstand walking and like their static handstand skills. You know, we might even throw in some stuff like pirouettes, things like that. So, you know, a lot more of that like dynamic handstand type progression, whereas the, the earlier handstand clinic is going to be kind of also for a broad range of people where it's going to be some of the handstand basics for it's more designed for people who haven't been upside down. And also for those people that like, OK, I can get upside down. Walking is not even like on the spectrum right now, but I'm really struggling with things like handstand push-ups and kind of some of the basics behind that. That's awesome. So yeah, guys, you, you, you know where to find Coach Cat. Her her social, what is your Instagram handle? It's Cerrone Baloney. The best. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll put out a link for you guys if you want to sign up for that in, in January. But in the meantime, uh, when you're practicing handstands at home after drinking eggnog, try not to fall down probably easier after eggnog <laughs> awesome any last uh remarks no that's it all right well thanks everybody we'll see you soon